Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. It's pretty common for a farmer to have a gander over a neighbour's fence and see what they can learn. It's probably not so common when that fence is about 150 kilometres away and the farm being looked at gets significantly less rainfall. G'day, I'm Drew Radford and this is the story of the Hunt family who farm near Bordertown in eastern South Australia. Before the science was settled and the tools were put in place to help predict the future climate of a location, the Hunts headed northeast to the Wimmera to see what they could learn from farmers working in warmer and drier conditions. It's a journey that paid off for the Hunts many times over. In this AgVic podcast series, we're going to find out how farmers are dealing with climate variability by visiting them on a virtual climate bus tour. Climb aboard, because today we're heading over the border to South Australia to meet Ben Hunt. We are 10k south of Bordertown in South Australia. We've got about uh, 3,000 acres in the Old Speak. We crop about 800 hectares of that and I run um, 1,300 breeding ewes. So that's a fair bit going on, Ben. Has is that, is that ratio changed much over the years or have you been pretty consistent with that sort of split between cropping and livestock? When I first came home from school, I suppose we were about 50-50. I reckon we've got 80% of the place in crop now and about 20% in pasture. And um, we've uh, learned a few tricks to extend out through the grain and graze program and yeah we've learned a few tricks on how to graze and crop at the same time so yeah we're sort of running probably 30 percent more sheep i suppose from the late 90s on about half as much dirt i suppose ben you mentioned there the ratios changed and you're constantly tweaking it in terms of climate variability what's your property experienced over time what's changed i think um it's probably the the severity of the events that we get like we used to get a hot day in october which would come through and blow the yield off your canola and your wheat but now you'll get a week so you know back in the late 90s you might be unfortunate to cop two days of 35 degrees in a row with a 50k an hour northerly wind but that can sort of last seven to ten days we've just sort of noticed that the, the springs have got tighter we don't have those big laconic springs that sort of bring home the crops like they used to and we've had to adapt to that. And I think you either adapt to it or you um, go broke slowly, I suppose. Well, in terms of that adaption, you mentioned you've been part of some cropping groups and you learnt some tips and tricks. What are some of the key things that you reckon you've done to adapt and deal with that? The big thing we learn up at Birdship, especially with those boys that are growing three-tonne bale crops in seven inches in real desert-like conditions, you know, and, and they just, every scrap of water that hits a deck, you, you make sure it goes into that profile and you make sure it goes into next year's crop. The building block to this game is nitrogen, NPKS and H2O. Yeah, you've got to make sure as much of that goes into your product as, as you can. And that's what we learnt. We got a lot more ruthlessly efficient. We started going up there in the 14-15 drought. We learned a fair bit about vetch fallow and um, summer spraying. And that's two of the things we brought home here. We don't have the, the sandy soils like they do up there, but uh, we've got very heavy black soils and very heavy reds down here, which we can lock up 
water down there to make and we were, we were trying to grow five average crops in a rotation so we decided to grow four belters and uh lock up the water and at least uh, one of those years and then um that sort of blew out into our current system so that's five years it's a seven year rotation and that's five years of crop and three years pasture and, um yeah we learned how to go out of the cropping cycle by running inter-row sowing clover and barley so we can graze that and set up the clover for the pasture phase and uh, get a crop off it at the same time. Then we um, really tightened up the length of our pasture phase too so we uh, use a lot of crop competition ideas in the pasture phase so we build up a lot of organic N and we build up a, a lot of organic matter in the soils over that uh, two-year pasture break. Then we go in pretty ruthlessly in the spring in that third year of pasture and, and set it all up for canola in the first year of the rotation. We go into our cropping phase with um, about 150, 200 kilos of nitrogen in the soil and we've lifted our organic levels up from about 1, 1.1 1. 1 to oh, sort of 1.6, 1.8, sometimes 2. So it sort of gives us a more robust, flexible soil, a lot more water holding capacity. And, um, yeah, it really helps us bring home those crops, even if the season does go against us. You described the soil differential from where you are compared to a lot of those guys up in Birdship. What's the rainfall differential? We're cropping between 350 and 450 most years, millimetres of rain, and those boys are on 7 inches. They're between 7 and 10. It's a big difference. It'd have to be 150, 200 mil difference every season so yeah the science is out there we can look at other areas in australia and go well potentially our climate could be a bit more like what they're experiencing 100k's north from here in 40 years time or whatever you guys kind of were early off the mark there and went and did that yourselves what inspired you and your dad to do that i just got sick of being smashed around in droughts and and figured there was a better way so uh yeah we just went out looking for people smarter than us and uh and get off the home patch and uh yeah go out and start talking to people up in the mallee what do you think farmers need to start doing now to be prepared for a more variable climate the big one for us was learning how to adapt to to the changes in the climate which have happened over the last 20 years and i think if you're still successful in this game you're still in front by adopting the technologies doing your minimum tillage getting your summer spray and right setting up healthy soils and i think healthy soils are the the number one key to that if you've got healthy robust fertile soils you're still going to grow good crops if you've got access to the new varieties to sort of deal deal with the conditions and you're across what varieties do well in your conditions we're we're out yielding by about 50 percent what we were doing when i first came home in the late 90s by 50 percent and we used to work on 18, 20 inch rainfall was very common back then with a big long spring. And we can do that now with uh, sort of 13, 15 inch rainfall and a spring that cuts off on us in middle of October sometimes. So I guess when you look back at some of the stuff we do different, like we used to be finished sowing maybe the middle of July when I first came home. Now we're worried if we're still going in June. Our sowing windows moved about um, six weeks forward 
I think we're a lot more aware of the risks associated with early sowing and, and time of sowing. Shout out to James Hunt. He used to present at Birchip a fair bit. He talked extensively about how you've got to work out when you want your crop flowering, we're talking about wheat specifically there, when that frost risk minimises and when that heat minimises as well. And so you set your sowing date to fall in that least amount of risk in those windows there. So, yeah, that's that's the type of information we've used and how we've adapted to the new norm, I suppose you could call it. Because uh, if you're still doing it like we were back in the 80s, honestly, I don't... Well, you'd still get a crop, but it wouldn't be as good as what we're doing now. The approach of the Hunt family to compare their farm with a warmer and drier location was arguably ahead of its time. Today, it can be done via software. The term used for this is climate analogues, and the person we're off to visit to find out more about them and how they can be used is climate specialist with Agriculture Victoria, Graham Anderson. Essentially, it is about analogy. So, we hear a lot about the climate change projections, which are done about as future climates um, become warmer and climate zones sort of shift across Australia. And I guess one thing of trying to work out when, you, when a farmer hears that, oh, well, the future might be one, two or three degrees warmer than it is today. One degree warmer doesn't sound much for most farmers. But if you, if you look at a place that's one degree warmer for every day of the year, for most farmers in Victoria, you, you'd have to travel 100 kilometres to your north to find somewhere that's currently farming where it's currently one degree warmer. And so there's sort of like a gradation of climate zones. So... That analogy is that, well, if you want to get a sense of what it's like to farm in a place that's one degree warmer, then there's people already farming in places that are one degree warmer. So what are they doing? So that's where the climate analogue or climate analogy comes from. There are some great tools to assist with this. I've actually gone online and had a bit of a play where you can sort of go, okay, well, where are these locations that are currently one degree warmer than me? And also potentially 20% or 10% less rainfall. Where's all this coming from, these tools, and how do you access them? The CSIRO and the Bureau of Meteorology have done some great work, and there, I guess the climate change in Australia, if you plug that into a search engine on the on the website, you'll get the sort of national climate projections. And in amongst that, there's some useful tools, and one of them is the Analogue Explorer tool, where anyone can go and just um, look at your location and then plug in a few bits in the tool and it'll give you some other sort of regions which are currently experiencing climates that might be one, two or three degrees warmer in future. So how can farmers use this to help them with their business planning? One of the key things is that there's a large range of climate zones across Australia and there are successful farm businesses that operate in all climates. So climate doesn't determine whether you're having a successful time in agriculture, but what's really important is that there are different things and different systems that farms set up to sort of manage with their climate and how their seasons flux and wane. So Victoria, as you head further north, it gets warmer and drier. And I think farmers sort of have always done this a bit, like farmers learn a lot from what's going on in other regions and how successful farmers make it work. And as we sort of talk about looking at how do farmers have to consider climate change, we know that as you head north, it gets a bit warmer, gets a bit drier on average. You know, there's a bigger summer to deal with. But also we know it still rains there and can occasionally get quite wet. So there's a lot that the farmers do to manage that sort of just change in that seasonality. And 
It's interesting that often in the higher rainfall zones of farmers down south, they consider that they've got a bigger buffer due to climate change. But often sometimes there's greater vulnerability in higher rainfall zones because if you live in a place where it always rains um, and you always have good autumn breaks and things, then you, you can sort of get used to that. When the climate then doesn't do what it's supposed to, then suddenly you've got a lot of pressure on your system, you know, and it's very easy to be sort of overstocked and get caught short. So that sort of dealing with that bigger variability is something that, you know, when you head further north, there's farmers that have found ways to sort of manage that and how do they deal with it? How do they set their farm up to make the most of the good years when there's plenty of rainfall around and there's plenty of production and how do you convert that into business opportunities? But also then when, when you're having tougher seasons, what do they do that actually helps manage and get through those drier times? Graeme, you spent the bulk of your career speaking to farmers along the way. What are they telling you about how they view climate analogues? That's probably one of the important things about just sort of seeing how other others set up their farms. I know some farmers have sort of said, you know, when they talk to uh, discussion groups that are further north, they're still in the same business of trying to grow good crops or grow good pastures and good milk production. But the seasonality of how they do it is a bit different. You know, so there might be farmers further north are dealing with a bigger summer, a bit of a compressed sort of winter growing season. So they're doing different things to try and maximise how they make the most of that sort of winter spring and production and then get through what can be a bit of a longer summer or what happens if you have a later autumn break. And so it's sort of maximising how do you make the most of things when the conditions are right. And what we've sort of seen whenever farmers hang around together, they're always interested in looking at how do you make that work? And so what sort of feed or fodder system or water infrastructure system or or do you, you know, the balance of livestock and what you have is core breeding flock versus trade. All of those sort of things are, are you see in other farm systems that people are doing, which enables them to deal with that sort of boom and bust cycle of uh, increasing seasonal variability. Graham, there's a lot of information out there. Where can primary producers go to find out more? Well, there's um, the Climate Change in Australia website, so that's just one word. You can go and find the projections tool and Analogue Explorer there. Also, Agriculture Victoria's Climate and Weather website. We've got some pre-prepared climate analogues for a few towns across Victoria, which can give you a bit of an idea of potential future climates and, and what we'll need to be adapting to. So people are welcome to go and use that. And I guess just... In closing, Drew, we've sort of seen there's a lot of successful tricks that farmers use to manage changing variability. And uh, we've got lots of things on our side, such as good research and good genetics and good technologies that are coming through. But also, you know, things like good farm infrastructure to manage water, store more water when it's about and improve fodder systems for years when we've got plenty to help us for the years when things are a bit skinny. Also, the increasing importance of business management is really important because I think that fluctuation of the financial part of it is such a key skill set now for farming. And also, we see great stuff done that where farmers have all been doing stuff around farm planning and looking after the landscape. So your land, certainly trying to minimise the impact of those big dry years or the big wet years to make sure they don't have sort of long-lasting impacts on your farm. So farm planning is more important than ever. And the other thing is just making sure you're well-networked and see farmers that are really well set up with good advice and good networks and people around them and, and of course, good podcasts to follow, Drew. <laughs> I'll take that as a win there, Graham. <laughs> well and truly. Graham Anderson, Climate Specialist with Agriculture Victoria, thank you for climbing on board and joining us for this virtual climate bus tour. Yeah, thanks heaps, Drew. 
Thank you for listening to AgVic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.